Hello, my Gather, Grow, Go family. This is Pastor Daniel, and welcome to the week after Easter. Your Gather, Grow, Go team is taking the week off, and so we thought we would share with you a podcast that we recorded when we were still testing things. Uh, We hope you enjoy it. It is a podcast on the prophet Jonah. Just one point of reference, we recorded this the Monday after the Super Bowl. So our conversation at the beginning is around the Super Bowl halftime show, just in case it requires a little more context than you have right off the bat. We hope you enjoy, and we'll be back with a brand new episode next week. One of the the interesting things was, you know, all of the pop culture Twitterverse was deeply (laughs) perturbed that Maroon 5 was the choice for the halftime show because you're in Atlanta, the the hub of hip-hop, right? And and look, I'm the whitest boy on the planet, so I I know that that is not my sphere of things. But if if I got over Maroon 5 a long time ago... What does that mean for our broader popular culture, right? How is how does that make them a choice? And, and, and I was just wondering what his favorite state was. Right. <laughs> I couldn't figure that one out. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Well, and then like John Acuff, did you see his tweet? Uh-huh. Where apparently the only, you know, California is the only socially acceptable state to tattoo across your belly, apparently. You know, <laughs> nobody an puts Texas, for Texas across Texas, your though. New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire. Uh. <laughs> that note, welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. I'm non-Pastor Michael. <laughs> we're glad you're here. Today, we're actually, in an interesting way, talking about Jonah, right? Who I think would be an incredible uh, person to have known, an incredible person within the broader pop culture to have gotten to see. Because, you know, when we think about it, the, the Super Bowl halftime show is a bit absurdist, right? And that's part of the appeal. People love to to hate watch it coming in, Right. Jonah is one of those people within our scripture who is by nature absurd, right? I, you know, when we talk about the, the different genres within scripture, part of what I see when I see in Jonah is, is I see that it's satire because it's so over the top, so hyperbolic, so absurd that you can't, I mean, in order to fully get what God's getting at in Jonah, I think you have to see it through a lens that, that, says this has got to be a little more than literal, right? Uh, I was, Chloe's my four-year-old, and she's got like a thousand different Bibles because she is the preacher's kid. And, and when you don't know what to give a preacher for a gift, you give them a Bible. When you don't know what to give the preacher's kid <laughs> for a gift, you give them a kid's Bible, right? right? And so Chloe's got like 17 of them, and, and we have them ranked in order from ones we actually like to ones we want to burn. But <laughs> Do you want to list those on? <laughs> no, I don't want to list those for public consumption. But she brought me one the other day that is on the to-be-not-read list, let's just say that, um, and opened it to Jonah and wanted me to tell her the Jonah story. And so I, I dutifully read the story as a, as a good parent. And, and man alive, <laughs> it so neutered the story. Mm. 
it became into a morality play, right? Jonah didn't do what God wanted him to do. He got in trouble. He said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And when he did what God wanted him to do, everything turned out fine. We completely miss big chunks of the story that way. Which is interesting because when trying to make it accessible to toddlers, we've lost the power of the story, right? Because I was talking with some church members the other day about Jonah. And and Jonah at his core, for me anyway, and and I'd love to hear y'all's thought on this, but Jonah is the toddler prophet. Right, If we track the arc, the narrative arc in Jonah, in the four chapters of Jonah, he's a three-year-old who is just moaning and groaning and complaining about all sorts of things. Right, we, Let's start. Right, He, he get, he's, gets a call from God to, to go. Right, And where does Jonah start? I don't want to. Have you heard that from your child Never. along the way? Never. Never. Of Never. course not. No. Um, Daddy, I don't want to. I don't want to go. And so he runs the opposite direction, right? And then he has this interaction with the, with the fishermen on the boat, and, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And he realizes, okay, it is my fault. And they toss him over, and he spends three days in timeout in the belly of the fish, right? And he has this moment where, like most toddlers coming out of timeout, what do they do? They tell you what you want to hear to get out of timeout. Have you looked at the prayer yeah. that Jonah prays at, at, at the end of um, his time in the belly? Right? It's not deeply remorseful. It, it is very much a, you know, okay, whatever I have to say to get out of here, we're going to say it to get out of here. And then he goes to Nineveh, as he's told, and sort of in an okay, fine kind of approach to things. I actually want to jump back to chapter two, yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about that. Um, I don't have children, so I can't comment if he's truly a toddler prophet or not, but I like that idea about him. But because I think his prayer in chapter two, one, I love that it's a poem. Mm. In the middle of a satire, you find this piece that feels like it could be lifted out of something from William Shakespeare's, like a tragedy. And it it feels like one of the few times, I think it's chapter two and chapter four, you actually get glimpses of Jonah's actual thoughts and feelings for a mm. moment. And so here in the belly of the fish, he gives this beautiful prayer of the weeds grabbing him and dragging him down, the water filling his lungs. And I think Jonah truly believes he's on death's doorstep. And yet in that moment, he can find ways to actually praise God, which I think that's really powerful. But again, the moment he gets spit up, it's gone. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's where he finds himself in this place where he recognizes his deep need for God in the, in the face of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mixture of both of what y'all are talking about because okay. it's... Uh, it is a beautiful prayer. I do love that he. It, it's, it's not. It, it's it's kind of a prayer of lament, but it's also a prayer of thanksgiving at the same time. And it's kind of imperfect in that way. So it's to me, it's a blend of both of those things. That the both of those ideas of, uh, I'm I'm. It's it's an imperfect man, and it's an imperfect prayer at a really tough time but we're right like he's at death's doorstep it's like he's in purgatory it's like he's i mean he talks about the underworld it's it's like he's in this space between life and death and yeah. then what do you how do you react and and he sings a, a, a song of thanksgiving but 
but also that is there's a tiny little bit of kind of blaming God a little bit, but then he pulls back again uh, and does some Thanksgiving stuff. And to me, it's a very human prayer uh, in that way. In a in a book that is very much this relational book between human humanity and God, uh, I, I do think it's a really good encapsulating prayer of what it is to be human and when we pray. I mean, it really does follow, though, if you think about it, the the lament psalms, mm-hmm. that there's always that beautiful mixture. And I think oftentimes in probably our culture, that confusing mixture of how can you praise God while also um, being in this really, really terrible situation yeah. um, that we see, you know. So you wonder who influenced who. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, I think, one of the the places that, you know, I, I talk about Jonah being absurdist and, and sort of over the top, but that doesn't detract from it for me. That actually makes it more accessible and more human and yes. more real because I think when I'm honest, there are many days when I'm absurdist, right? When I fluctuate from really high to when really low. When I'm a toddler, amen, yes. <laughs> um, and... and <laughs> And that imperfection in Jonah, the imperfection of his relationship with God, the imperfection of the prayer, even though the beauty that's in it makes it more accessible, makes it more transformative almost and, and more real um, for me. What do y'all what do y'all think of and, and make of this hard turn that happens in in chapter three, right? Where we go from this very vulnerable, open human place that that depending on how you read it and depending on the day and moment where you read it, either feels really authentic or feels inauthentic and get me out of here with this move in chapter three where he actually goes to Nineveh. What do y'all think of that hard turn and, and kind of the you know, he walks three, two or three days across Nineveh before he ever offers a word of proclamation, and and what to my mind reads as is kind of halfway doing what God has called him to do. Right? right. Uh, Isn't it like a seven word proclamation? Like that's it. Yes. It just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I think it's seven days in the English, but I want to say, and I was looking, it's like four day, four words. In, in the Hebrew on this. So it's a much more condensed proclamation, but clearly a powerful pro- proclamation. Do you think you could preach a four-word sermon, Daniel? Lord, no. <laughs> I could not. Love God, love everybody. That's about all I got in terms of four there, words. There you go. Um, but then I'd want to unpack it. <laughs> well, let's figure out what, what does this really mean and who is everybody and, you know. When we were recently doing this in, in our Bible study and some in, at Brownbag, and somebody mentioned how amazing it was for the king to basically lay down power uh, mm. at the feet yeah. of God, and they and then they just kind of moved on. But I got stuck there, and then of course I I came back to it, and I, just that idea is so that is so very human to us because power is such a commodity. Uh, in our world, in the in in the ways that we try and seek out power, the ways that you know we have power plays at work, or mm-hmm. just the fact that we are in America, there's a power play going on in that situation on a world scale. So, and then just in our personal lives, like we like having power over mm-hmm. our own lives, we like having power over what happens and 
who gets to be a part of that life and all that kind of thing. So the idea of when we repent, that we lay down that power mm-hmm. uh, is very striking to me. And I also think it, it correlates with this, that what God is constantly doing throughout this book, which is showing God's power in creation, just constantly showing how powerful God is, even though, you know, we sometimes run away because we want to hold on to the power that we, we want to have or, or think we should have. So is in this way, repentance is an act of, of dependence in a culture of independence, hmm. where we embrace our dependence on God in a, in a society that says your worth, your value, your meaning, your, your purpose in life is to become independent, to become independently wealthy, to become independent of your corporation, to become independent of ever needing anyone or anything else. Hmm. I think this moment with Jonah is probably the one I find the most relatable um, to me in that I don't trust I'm sorry as much (laughs) as I probably should. Like when someone does something and then they say, Mm. I'm sorry, um, I don't buy it. And so like I feel like Jonah in the same way is like, okay, I can tell you to repent and the people are saying, I'm sorry. And they're doing more than that, right? Like there's sackcloth, there's ashes, like even the cows are in it, right? What a beautiful word image, by the way, right? (laughs) Cows in sackcloth. I mean, how absurd is this and how wonderful is this? Anyway. And so we go into chapter four and Jonah goes up on a hill, is pouting about it because he doesn't believe it. And he's waiting, you know, he's waiting because, you know, God comes and converses with Jonah on that hill, says, what are you doing, Jonah? And Jonah's like, I'm waiting for them to like, you know, go back to their old ways because I don't trust it. So I, I feel like I have no words to say like, oh, this is how it should be other than thanks, Jonah, for being relatable yeah. in that moment. Well, I wonder with Jonah's expectation and almost hope mm-hmm. that they return um, to their life of extravagance and debauchery or whatever it was that, that got them in trouble to begin with, right? is that one of the things that has happened is Jonah has lost his place of moral superiority, right? And he's desperately wanting to reclaim that place of moral superiority over the people who have returned and returned to their place of dependence upon God in the midst of this. Jonah wants to hold on to his power while the king is is laying it down. Well, Jonah wants to have, I mean, Jonah wants to have judgment, you know, he 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 wants to hold that power of wanting to know who is going to be judged in certain ways instead of allowing God to be the ultimate judge, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where do we find this impulse in Jonah in our lives today? Right. I, you know, when we turn when we open Twitter, right? It seems like depending on the day, there is a a national crisis of some form or fashion, right? That may or may not be an actual crisis, but the the outrage police are up in arms about something, claiming that moral high ground and yelling and screaming about something. We turn on our TVs to MSNBC or Fox or any one of the cable networks, or, and you turn them on on the same day, they're outraged about different things, but they're both claiming the moral high ground about something, whether it's an issue of justice or moral authority. 
you know, what does this impulse in Jonah speak to that impulse that may still lie in us here in the 21st century, whether we would be quick to name it in ourselves or not, or even see it in those places of culture or not? Yeah, we're pausing because we don't want to be quick to name it. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I think it, part of it comes in how fast-paced I think our daily lives are. Mm. how fast everything comes. And so it becomes so easy to have the first instinct, the first reaction, the first emotion be the one that takes over in a situation because we're too busy to slow down and see that maybe we had some fault in the mm. way something played out. Or um, or maybe even if where we find ourselves is a grounded place, um, but perhaps the other person or news network or social media thing also has a grounded place as well that just might come from a different perspective from ours. But we just don't have time, you know, mm-hmm. so we, we get mad about it and we move on. Or we continue to just talk and talk and talk and go sit up on a hill and wait and wait and wait. Which is why I think the ending of Jonah is my absolute favorite and it makes me so sad that in the children's stories so often, yeah. that's what we lose. <clears throat> yeah, it ends, it ends with a question to the reader yeah. from God, mm-hmm. right? And it's wrestling, it's wrestling with something that you're talking about, which is that it's wrestling with that human idea of juggling justice and mercy together. And that, yes, we do need justice in the world. We also need mercy in the world. And... So kind of how, how you put it, that the uh, Melissa, the, the ways that we kind of we have a gut reaction to things, and a lot of times it can honestly fall in either of those. Nope, just, justice here, justice, I need justice or moral authority or you know uh, or oh, we, I need um, uh, mercy here immediately, and I'm not going to think about any kind of forms of, of anything else. So that wrestling with it and, and saying like whatever my first impulse is, Maybe I then need to stop and be grateful for that first impulse and wherever mm-hmm. I'm coming from, but then also think about the other side of it and make sure that that is coming into play into the conversation and, and what we're thinking about. Do we lose in the speed of our lives and our world in that desire? And I think it's the same thing that's at play in the desire to condense the story so a toddler can understand it. But in that condensing, whether it's for time or for context or for content, do we lose nuance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do we want the world to be black and white, zeros and ones, a binary existence, a dualistic good and evil bad? It makes our busy days easier. Yeah. If it can be check this box or this one. Yeah. Right. Versus having to sit, as Michael was saying, with it and be grateful and, and then move on um, with whatever the, the ending may be. Uh, yeah, I think that question at the end of Jonah is truly a mirror. Mm-hmm. It's a mirror that's being held up to, to make you realize that, you know, Jonah's probably really relatable to each of us along the way because... He's meant to be us along the way. Mm -hmm. He's meant to be us and also meant to point us toward an understanding of God that is greater than us. Yes. 
right? Because part of the big pouting on the hill is Jonah saying, God, I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you'd be gracious. I knew I wanted justice. I wanted power. I wanted this ability uh, to claim superiority. But here you are blowing that out of the water. Mm-hmm. Here you are calling me not to to a single way or a one or a zero kind of way, calling me to a third way, a way that's bigger and more powerful and that you have already walked. Hmm. Another thing we mentioned in our in our uh, brown bag Bible study was this idea that how chapter four, in a, in a roundabout way, God's kind of saying, Jonah, could you just look at the world through my eyes? Try, mm. try to look at the world through my eyes a little bit better. That's that third way, right? And it's hard to peel ourselves from all the different things that are in our ears, whether it's media or you know other people and all all these different things. And so, how what would it look like if we, you know, instead of looking at it through uh, uh, an interest group's eyes or whatever, a political party's eyes, but we actually looked through it, looked at the world and at each other through God's eyes. What would that be like? Hmm. It's probably a good question to ponder. Amen. on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. This is Pastor Daniel. This is Pastor Melissa. This is non-Pastor Michael. Signing off. We'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. See ya.